0: Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network.
1: You're listening to Linux in the Hound Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts,
2: Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD.
3: Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 244 of Linux in the Hamshack. And... Um, Things have been a little crazy around here, as anyone who listens regularly will know. Uh, Bill had to do an episode solo, which he got through and survived. So he's still here, right? (laughs) Woohoo!
1: Let the lunatics run the asylum, right? Yeah, well, that's right.
3: And they didn't burn it down. So that's good. Uh, And Cheryl's still here?
0: I think I survived anyway.
3: All right. Good deal. So we're all back, and uh, we're looking at doing a couple of minor tweaks to the show format, which uh, I. don't know that we'll talk about tonight, but we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, one way or the other, whether it's an announcement on the website or whether we talk about it here. Uh, but tonight is our long topic or deep dive episode. And interestingly, and in a sort of meta way, our deep dive topic tonight is Linux in the Hamshack, not using Linux in the Hamshack, but the actual product Linux in the Hamshack, our uh, ISO that we put out. Uh, the Ubuntu distribution that bears our name. Uh, Bill's going to talk about how that came to be and how you could do something similar. And then I'm going to jump in after that, I think, and talk a little bit about how we're going to distribute that using torrents and maybe do a little bit of a shallower dive into torrenting in general. So, Bill, take it away.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So, uh, we've got a lot of feedback about the uh, builds and, uh, including a very recent one from, uh, from Tony, uh, a listener, KM4HSD, he was uh, sending me some emails the other day while I was uh, out and about, and uh, he was saying he was installing uh, the latest, uh, was wondering where the distros were <laughs> and whether they worked, and I was like, well, yeah, they work, they're uh, the 1804, I haven't I haven't revved them up to the one yet, which I promised to do uh, two weeks ago, <laughs> and I haven't quite done it. And, uh, when I did go to do it, I ran into some issues. And so I've kind of tweaked my build script a little bit. And I figured it was a good time to probably share all that with you. And I know I've talked about what I, the tool I actually use to do this, but we'll start with that first. Um, basically I start with my, my Ubuntu system that I'm already running and I, I download the latest ISO from. From uh, Ubuntu, whether that be Kubuntu, uh, Lubuntu, or any of the other ones, I just built uh, Kubuntu just before, uh, just before we uh, started recording this, just to test everything out and make sure all the tweaks were, were working as expected, and uh, it looks like everything works, so this is good. So the tool I've been using is uh, called Cubic, and it's a, a custom Ubuntu ISO creator, so it's a fancy name, Cubic, C-U-B-I-C. And it's a it's a GUI wizard that uh, that's uh, used to create a custom bootable Ubuntu Live CD images. Uh, Cubic features an integrated command line chroot environment to make customizations and permits effortlessly. Oh, sorry, permits effortless <laughs> navigation backward and forward through the ISO generation steps. This can uh, create new customization projects or modify existing ones. Important parameters are automatically populated with intelligent defaults to simplify the customization process. So basically this is a tool that makes uh makes making ISOs bootable ISOs dead simple, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh I, I looked at doing the steps manually and I kind of went through it at one point and I said, "Man, this is a pain in the butt. I don't want to do this." And uh I ran into like either a Reddit thread or something like that that pointed me to Cubic. So I I've downloaded that and uh obviously we were off to the races after that because it was uh it was dead simple simple. So, uh, in order to install Cubic, you do need to go and grab the PPA release of Cubic from Launchpad. And we have provided the, uh, the link in the show notes. And you want the, uh, you want the actual release, not the beta. I mean, you could try beta, but I haven't built anything with the beta. Um, so you do add that PPA, do your, uh, you know, apt update, apt, uh, apt install Cubic, and it installs all the tools you need. And then you get a nice little menu option for Cubic. So you have your ISO that you downloaded from Ubuntu. You have this product called Cubic, uh, and you just start Cubic, and it automatically asks you for a super user password because it is going to run as root. Scary, 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 scary. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and, uh, yeah, so uh, the custom Ubuntu ISO creator comes up, a little pop-up screen here, and wants want you to set up a directory. I've been uh, just popping these into my documents folder and creating a, a directory uh, after the build I'm doing, so I'm just going to go ahead and make one right
3: now. lhsv one Ubuntu. So this Cubic takes off from your current running system, or do you have to have, like, a clean install?
1: No, current running system. So whatever you have, doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> um, and once you've selected your directory, um, it basically asks you to select your original ISO. So I'm just going to go ahead and go grab my downloaded ISO, uh, X 2 18041 desktop, 64-bit, and... Once you have the original ISO selected, it allows you to customize the actual name. So in our version, I've just been putting LHS V1 because it makes the, uh, the ISO name really pretty. So <laughs> it simplifies uh, typing in a version number and everything else. And we're just going to keep V1 until, well, until I decide to change that. Um, but you can customize everything else, including the release name. If you want something special there, uh, you know, the label on the disk, uh, volume ID, anything else. I-, I just leave all that the same. I just changed the version to uh, LHS V1. And it goes to the next step. It copies the ISO from the drive to a, to a, to a temp space. And then it extracts the compressed uh, Linux file system so it can mount it. And it's doing this all automagically as I'm talking to you right now. And instantly you're ported into a nice little true rooted environment where you can do everything you need to do to uh, you know, add packages, uh, make settings changes, anything else, all from the command line. You're not, you're not presented with a GUI or anything else like that. So you're not going to get a GUI in that environment. I don't know if you can even do that. But, but it's just not needed for what you're actually doing. And I built this really cool script. It's not really cool. It's just really simple. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm looking for it right now. because Simple is the new cool. Simple is the new cool. And there it is. LHS1V, uh, LHS1v1-builds.sh. It's a shell script. And if you're lucky enough to be listening to this live, I'm actually going to post it into the Discord. But we'll also have it included in the show notes so you can see that, so you can follow along at home. And all you do is actually just drop this script into the window that the true environment is. And it allows you to uh, copy it to the uh, system, which is really cool. Because if you want to copy files like, let's say, uh, backdrops or anything else like that, you can actually just copy it directly. To the chrooted uh, uh, installation, and it just puts it right there on the root for you. So my build script is there. So I just basically uh, make it executable
3: with the chmod plus x. So if you wanted to, for example, like overwrite the default back desktop background, mm-hmm. you could just copy one into the absolutely the spot where it resides. Absolutely, and and yeah. Or if
1: you had like extra backdrops that you wanted to include, like let's say uh, like some of the other ones that I made. Um which are really crappy, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, you could just drop it in there. Any of the default stuff you can actually change in the uh, in the environment um if you poke into it. My script basically only messes around with the packages. Um and uh and it's really simple. And uh this may kill my bandwidth, so I might not do it. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the build script that actually uh actually runs out there. Let me open it up with uh my editor. Them, of course. No, just kidding. Code. <laughs> and uh, basically, it's a, just a shell script that runs through. It does a, a, an apt update and an apt upgrade. And I put all the Y flags in it so you don't have to sit there and hit the yes every stupid time. I'm taking a puff of my cigar here. Hold on. Um, and
3: <laughs> Well, good. I can I, I can ask yeah. you a question real quick then while you're uh, thinking. Um, so so being that this is called the custom Ubuntu uh base image creator or whatever it was you said the cubic stands for uh so this will only work with ubuntu
1: uh i i believe it actually will work with some other ones uh i have not tested it
3: um but
1: i would say that it's specifically made for ubuntu installer so let's not get too creative and <laughs> I'm not, i wouldn't be trying mint on this um or i mean you, go, you could probably <laughs> well, try you something that's mint- built with ubuntu uh as a base it probably would work
3: I'm thinking it since since mint has its own repos you could probably just do cubic with a base of ubuntu install and include the mint repos and that would probably work.
1: Well, that's possible. Yeah, I mean you could always customize it even further. Um, I mean you could even install like, you know, Pantheon from uh, elementary and stuff like that if you really wanted to get crazy and uh, build your own little custom system. But you know the more uh, customizations you do, the obviously the more possibility you can break things. So uh, I try to keep it simple. That's why I don't really mess around too much with the uh, with the environment that uh, that I download. So if it's Kubuntu, I leave it you know standard whatever the KDE that they ship with it. I don't mess around with that at all. Um, just basically run an update and upgrade. so it'll be slightly newer than the uh, than the dot one release because if they've uh, included any uh, kernel changes and stuff like that, this will go ahead and upgrade those. Um, like, uh, this one did this morning, I just, uh, or just a little bit earlier. It upgraded to 4.15, oh, whatever. <laughs> uh, just like you would if you had a running system right now. Um, so that's the nice part about this. You can actually build something and, and, and kind of rev it up at, at the same time. So, uh, so yeah, so I run the update, the upgrade. I add a bunch of PPAs, just so it's even more scary. Uh, we add the OK2CQR, which is the CQR log PPA. We add the GPredict PPA straight from the G-Predict team, so you can get the latest version there. Then I add the uh, four PPAs recommended by GX or GQRX, which is the uh, SDR application. So adds uh, the repos for GNU radio, the drivers, and the Blade RF. So you get all the cool little new- neat little tools that go along with GQRX and all the supporting libraries you need for, uh, for those devices that can plug into that environment. And then uh, we uh, also added the uh, K1... Uh, K- KI7MT, uh, WSJTX, uh, the mainline repo, which I think they've, uh, finally, uh, fixed. So, <laughs> so you can actually install the, the, the most recent version, <coughs> the most recent general release version, I should say. So it's not the, uh, what, what I had on there before, which is the, uh, WSJTX-next repo, which would, uh, which I think last time I checked was what, 191RC3 or something like that. So it was a little dated, and uh, I was hoping they would finally update update the uh, the other PPA, and and of course they did. So this should avoid you having to go out and get uh, do the LibReadLine hack and uh, download the dev from from the website. So once you add those PPAs, it has the the Y flag on it as well, so you don't have to sit there and and wait and hit OK and and stuff like that. It just kind of pops through, um, and then it runs the uh, the apt install for. GQRX, SDR, WSJTX, and then all the ham radio pure blend stuff. And that includes the antenna, the Morse, the ham radio, the SDR, the data modes, non-amateur tasks, digital voice, packet modes, uh, tools, logging, rig control, training, maintenance guide, and satellite. And uh, I did run in some issues with this. So I've added three new lines to this script. And I, I will say that this script you could use on any Ubuntu system. That like if you just want to download whatever let's say you want Ubuntu Budgie or something like that, if you just download it, you can run this on your system and it'll do the same thing. It'll just install everything the same way. Now, you might not need the next three lines because this is kind of a an issue when you're in a two rooted environment. Um, somehow, some way mysQL server does not install properly, and you end up throwing a bunch of errors at the end of the uh, the install from uh, the dev package manager. So I had added three new lines that basically purges MySQL SQL or MySQL server uh, from your install in the true root environment and then installs it separately and then installs CQR log separately. And then everything is happy. So at that point, you have the entire system updated and all the packages added and including all the devs are actually downloaded onto the, the environment. So it will be on the CD. Excuse me one second. So your ISO will grow quite a bit (laughs) the uh, Kubuntu one went from 1.9 gig to 2.6 gig when i did all this because it is about 318 or so packages that get added to the system to to do this now since uh you know most isos people never actually put them on a drive or (laughs) they go on a thumb drive (laughs) or uh, or if they're using a virtual machine obviously just load the iso up it doesn't really matter the size i mean the size can just continue to grow and it'll be fine Um, but they are quite, quite large the images get quite large so once, uh, once you're done adding all the packages, uh, you basically hit next because, you know, it's, a, it's just a little wizard. And it goes through the process of actually compressing the file image and writing out the file image. And it writes out the, uh, the MD5 as well. So when you're done, it finishes everything up. And then it asks, of course, if you want to delete stuff. And I never do because you can just go back in and reopen the project, which is a really nice feature. And make changes from the, your last set of changes. So you basically can continue to upgrade the exact same version for basically until until things start breaking. And uh, I did, like I say, I ran into a problem on the 18.04 and I thought it was just my my issue that the size was growing too big. And uh, when I downloaded the 18.04 ones, it basically was the same thing. So uh, it was like not really an issue. I thought it was just because I started with 18.04 uh, as the base for the original builds. So... So with that, uh, it's, it's done at that point, you, you have your, 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 your live drive, your live, uh, ISO images ready to go. All those packages should be installed and should be running. And when you click the install button, it should then again, install all those packages and onto your system that you click the installer to. So it simplifies, um, pretty much everything with getting all that stuff on there. Uh, all the PPAs are actually added to the system as well. So you'll have all those, uh, all those links when you uh, do an apt update and apt upgrade and stuff like that it'll go ahead and hit those PPAs as a source and a sources list and it's it's done I mean the cubic is uh is, is so dead simple anybody could do it <laughs> and now I've kind of simplified it to just uh, basically I just run the build script and then uh, wait for it to compress the file system image and it's done so yeah super super, super easy
3: <laughs> have you and in- <laughs> install the iso as it's built directly out of the trude environment into like a vm just to see it come up before writing it to a, a uh, yeah, drive um, and then do yeah, it
1: I mean I've done that uh, I haven't done that with the the build I just did earlier cuz I didn't have time but I did with all the other ones I I tested them to make sure they boot and that everything would load up and uh like I said I think I when I did the original builds I said I had some some kind of quirkiness with a couple of them with the the the, the visuals on um on v- vmware but when i booted the image from a thumb drive on a system it, it worked fine
3: all right very good so which ones have you built just, for the latest I just version or Kubuntu, is that the just and the first uh,
1: one? like i say i have a xubuntu here for the xfce peoples um that's here and uh, i will eventually click the next button after we're done recording the podcast and stuff and i'll just let it do its own thing so it basically runs automated at that point but it downloads you know a ton
3: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. That's, that's very cool. I've always wondered because I just remember we've been talking about doing this for a long time. And I think you were kind of fighting through the process and trying to figure out how you're going to get it done and find the time. And obviously you stumbled upon this tool and all of a sudden, bam, yeah. it's like the next day we have distros. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, once you get to it, it's, it's amazing how quick and easy it is. And then, and then making the build script uh, makes it even easier. Uh, and then you can also use the build script separately like if you just want to you know like i say do do your own system you don't have to even bother downloading the iso you can just grab whichever one whichever build you want from whichever flavor if you even want like ubuntu studio or something like that you could do that and then just run the build script right on top of it and uh, you don't have to run the build script you can just look at it and say okay I want this I want this and you know cherry pick the stuff out of there but you know the uh, the build script does make it kind of easy to to install those packages and, and and if it does any quirky stuff like uh, like the ones that I've been noticing here in this environment, it, it sort of takes care of that problem as well.
3: And it also does allow us to put out something that's a finished product. So if somebody doesn't want to get into any part of this build process, you just you, the in the you, line have. And, you know,
1: type in all that stuff or cut and paste or, you know, to mod the uh, build script on your system and then execute it, and you know, cross your fingers that I didn't put some hacky stuff in there or something like that. <laughs> Although it's, it's pretty straightforward, it just runs commands. There's no, not even any uh, <laughs> any coding in there. I don't, I don't inspect anything. Uh, the build script should actually work fine on pretty much any architecture too, uh, as long as there's support for it. Uh, I think most of the ones that uh, I added there have ARM support. So you should even be able to run this on like your uh, your Ubuntu install on your uh, Raspberry Pis and stuff. Or like Odroid, like I have mine on the Odroid.
3: Do you have yeah. the yeah, LHS build on
1: the Odroid? It's not bad. How does it uh, perform? It, it, good? It, it plays like an Odroid <laughs> running Ubuntu. It's ARM. It's not It's not like <laughs> great if you get a lot of things running. Uh, it does, uh, does have issues. I mean, we ran it at the Hamvention on the big TV and that 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 seemed to work okay but yeah you can't right. run multiple things and and like yeah when you ran uh you had uh, that libra office presentation with a bunch of uh extra stuff in it like animations and stuff it kind of flaked out on that it just doesn't have a tremendous amount of power to uh to run those things <laughs> i right. mean it is an arm device it's not
3: uh, you know it hasn't taken over the world yet yeah. oh yeah <laughs> right it's definitely getting uh, there. but it's getting there yep uh ft8 on your ARM yeah. process yeah, it's, it's gonna be the way of the world That's the only way we're gonna,
1: and then you just automate it, and you never have to touch the box, and you'll just (laughs) walk out with the waz and a worked all continents and everything else. (laughs) (laughs) Then you'll go find a new hobby and just let your radios run themselves. (laughs) Oh, that's terrible! (laughs) Uh, The way it seems like it's going, yeah, no. no. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, we just want to make it easier for people to get on here and 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 get through these steps pretty uh, pretty quick and uh, painless, and, uh, you know, the easier it is for people to get introduced to uh, to Linux on their computer with, uh, with everything they need, you know, all the ham radio stuff that they can play with and try, uh, I think it's I think it's a great benefit.
3: Yep, absolutely. And so leading on from that, one of the things we had talked about is once these distributions have been built for the latest version of Ubuntu, uh, and probably any future versions of Ubuntu as they come out. Um, we're going to be offering these as torrents uh, because that is one of the fastest ways to download data and so um i I kind of wanted to I think we may have dived a little bit into torrenting in the past, but I figured this might be a nice topic for people who who sort of aren't really who who've heard the term torrenting or maybe use it from the perspective of they they go to a client. And uh, they download a software package or something using a torrent, but they they don't really know how it works, per se. Uh, so we can talk a little bit about the architecture of BitTorrent and um, what we're going to be using it for and how you can help us uh, by distributing these distributions through the torrent network. So let's uh, talk a little bit about BitTorrent itself. Um, the way BitTorrent works, it's a distributed architecture, so there's no client-server relationship. It's basically an entirely client-client relationship. So when you download something from BitTorrent, you are connecting to a bunch of different other clients that have either all of or part of the software that you're trying to get. And you download bits and pieces of it in a certain chunk size, basically. And all of those bits and pieces come to you from different locations. They're all put onto your machine. They're cryptographically hashed. And then they're all reassembled into the original product. So in other words, if you have an ISO image, for example, the one that Bill has built, and you distribute that into the the BitTorrent network, then there might be five or 10 or 100 or 1,000 other clients out there that have a copy either in full or in part of that ISO. And your client will go out and and find those other clients and download the bits and pieces and assemble them all back together into the original thing. And because it's so distributed, it offers a fair degree of anonymity because there's no centralized server where all the data resides. And it's really fast because you can download pretty much to the extent of your bandwidth because even though a certain client may only be serving a certain upload speed, if you're downloading from 40 of those, uh, then you can get it as fast as you can possibly pull data into your network. So there's a couple of key features to the way torrenting works. And one of the major ones is what's called a tracker. And a tracker is a, um, you know, for lack of a better word, it's a server. Uh, it's basically just a software application that runs on a machine somewhere. And what it does is it literally keeps track of things. That's why it's called a tracker. Uh, every torrent, um, when you create one, because you have to create a torrent. So, for example, I'm going to take the Ubuntu ISO image that Bill has built, and I'm going to create a torrent of it. And the torrent is going to be simply that ISO. And when you create the torrent, what, you, what you're what you doing basically is you're creating a hash of the information that's in the torrent and a link to the actual data and then you publish that to a tracker and what the tracker does is it keeps track of all the clients who have knowledge of the software that you are torrenting and how much of it that client has and your client will keep the tracker updated with its progress so like if you have a hundred percent of the file Your client will announce to the tracker that your client has 100% of the file. And another client may say, well, I'm in the process of leeching this, this file. I don't have all of it yet. I only have 33%. And then as it keeps downloading and downloading and downloading, it'll keep updating the tracker. So the tracker is sort of a clearinghouse of information on all of the clients and all of the status of the software contained on those clients that are being announced to the tracker. So that's, That's the sort of clearinghouse of information. That's a very important bit. Now, there are lots and lots and lots of trackers out there. Um, There are public trackers and there are private trackers. And the public trackers are the ones where anybody can announce to them and they keep the data updated and anybody can query them for that data. And then there are private trackers. And those are the ones that everyone talks about because those are often ones that have illicit data in them. Um so uh if you've ever heard of the Pirate Bay, that is a private tracker. So some trackers are searchable. They have a searchable index. The Pirate Bay is one of those. Um, there's like rbg, there's um I don't know. There's a, there's a million of them anyway. Um, but the the technology of torrenting is not inherently illicit. But of course, it's used for illicit purposes, but it's also used for legitimate purposes, which is one of the purposes we're going to be using it for, to distribute legitimate legal software. Um, so in order to do that, I actually have a public tracker set up on the Black Sparrow Media Network. And I've also used a couple of other public trackers to announce to. The problem with this is these trackers don't have searchable indexes. So you can't go to them and say, find me, you know, the Linux in the Hamshack 2012 archive, um, because they're not searchable. The tracker is only to keep the clients in sync when you actually start a download. So that being the case, what you have to do is you have to actually get the torrent file, which is the metadata file. And those are going to be published on the Linux in the Hamshack website. In fact, they already are. The problem with the ones that are currently there is they're just archives of the episodes. They don't currently contain the ISO image. So that's something that's going to be added. So once that's done, the torrent metadata files are going to be hosted there. And all you have to do is download that metadata file and run it inside of a torrent client. So one of the, let's see, my, my torrent client of choice uh, is transmission. It's called transmission BT or just transmission. It's cross platform. It's open source. And the nice thing about it is it has a web GUI, so it's very easy to, you know, manage your torrents in it. Um, So if you want to download a torrent, all you have to do is get the metadata file. It's usually called a .torrent file. Uh, You run it in transmission, and it will simply go out and find all of the clients out in the world that have announced to the trackers that they have a copy of the ISO image, and it will download it for you. And what you'll wind up with is a directory that ultimately has the completed ISO uh, as soon as it's possible to to download it completely. But the problem is, since everything's in this distributed network, you have to have at least one client that has a full copy. And there will always be one client that has a full copy. It will be mine because I'm the one who's going to initially see the torrent. But if you have some cycles on a machine somewhere, that can run twenty four seven, what we would like to be able to have you do is seed the torrent for us or along with us. Because the more clients out there that download the torrent, download the data, and announce back to the tracker that they have a completed copy, the more places that other clients can get that from. And that means A, they'll be able to download it faster, and B, they'll be able to use fewer of every individual's resources because we will be downloading parts from many different clients. So the more people we can get to seed it, the faster and more available it will become. Now, there's a great Linux-based, I think it's Linux-only, but it might not be. That's another open-source project called RTorrent, literally the letter R and then torrent, uh, which you can run on a server. It has a CLI interface, and it will take a torrent file, And download it just like, uh, transmission will, but then you can just leave it in a screen session or something running in the background and it will continue to seed that file, you know, forever and ever. And if you have, if you have a server and some bandwidth that allows you to do this where people can upload from you, um, that's what we're hoping folks will do for us. And, uh, this is, of course, once I get everything published again. So with our torrent, you have a lot of different options. You can use it like transmission to download other things. And, of course, you can seed from it anything you want, uh, anything you want to be able to offer up into the torrent network. Uh, It also allows you to arbitrarily limit upload and download speed. So let's say, you know, your pipe is only so big and you only want to allow uh, 5 megabit per second upload for anybody who's getting data from your client. You can do that. So that's a useful thing about our torrent. And it's also... It also has an uh, XMLRPC interface that runs on port 5000, I think, 5000 or 5050, 50, whatever. Um, and then there are some GUI front ends that also interface with RTorrent. So if you want to have a GUI or a web based GUI uh, for RTorrent, you can do that. I think there are several of them out there and they talk to R torrent on the back end using XML RPC. So that's pretty handy. And then for me, the, the project I'm using to actually keep track of the data. Is Open Tracker. So if you uh, really get into this torrenting thing and you want to have your own tracker, whether it be private or public, uh, you can use Open Tracker to to do that, and then you can use it to announce all the files on your you know torrent server, for lack of a better word, and then you can just uh, distribute the torrent files to other people if you want them to be able to download things from you uh, or seed things so that other people can get them as well. So um did I did I sort of cover the idea of how the Torrent network yeah, works. That clear? sounds really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's
1: uh, very, very detailed more than more than I I've ever messed with. I mean I've used uh you know transmission to download some distros and stuff like that and and uh I I've never really uh I've kept it up for a little while and seated for a little while. Um but generally I'll I'll let it get to like at least half or maybe a hundred percent where I've I've seated it, I've put out as much as I've taken and then I'll, uh, I'll kill it.
3: <laughs> right, right. And that's what a lot of people do, and a lot of people don't seed at all. They'll just download till they get what they want, and then they'll stop seeding yeah. immediately. Uh, and with things like transmission and r both, you can tell it that you want to seed, you want to seed back to the network up to a certain ratio or up to a certain byte count. So you can say, okay, I've downloaded this. I want to seed back 100 megabits or 100 megabytes of data or I want to seed back like twice the data that I downloaded. So, and, uh, once it meets that criteria, it will stop seeding uh, automatically, or you can just simply stop seeding, you know, immediately if you so choose. But in the, in the scheme of share and share alike, that's sort of like being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> if you, uh, if you just download the file and don't seed it, yes, you're being a dick. So don't yeah. be a dick don't be me no i just kidding
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: now, I, always, I always shoot for like 50 percent or 100 percent. i mean i at least give back what i've taken <laughs> uh right
3: well that's better than yeah, most people do yeah. so and that's okay. sometimes
1: i forget and i leave it running forever
3: <laughs> now I, I understand that a lot of people don't want to seed back to the networks because you know what they're downloading is illegal sometimes yeah. um and so that would be a perfectly good reason, I guess, to not seed it back to the network, because it can be tr- it can be traced if someone gets a hold of the tracker information. However, in our case, all of the data is completely legit, so there's no reason you can't seed it. So again, if you want to use R Torrent, I, I wouldn't recommend using transmission uh to seed back because it's it's too GUI based. Um it's it's more for your downloading, you know, portion of things. I would I would highly recommend using R Torrent or something else. You know, don't use your Lime wires or your transmissions or your you know anything like that for for doing seeding with. Um, if, if you're able to seed back to the network and keep things running 24-7, uh, use something like rtorrent uh, oh. in, in a screen session or something where you can kind of push it into the background and uh, just allow it to sit there on the network and, and serve clients as they request the data because it, it definitely is what makes the, the whole tor- BitTorrent network work. And uh, once all the torrents are... Uh, recreated on my end and available i will uh have the information you can download from the website i'll also be in the show notes um so you can just get the torrent files and any client will be able to seed them and then i'm also going to include some basic commands using transmission and our torrent for creating a torrent if you want to see your own data it, it's really really simple uh it's probably just more detailed than we need to go into right now well it is a deep dive episode
1: it, it is true. <laughs> We're allowed to go a little deeper than normal.
3: Well, it's it's actually simpler than I'm making it and I can go through the process using transmission real quick. If you have a torrent, let's, let's say you have an ISO of your own that you want to seed, um there's only a couple of bits of information you have to have. One is the thing you want to seed, i.e. the ISO file, and you have to have a tracker to announce it to. Because if you if you don't announce it to a tracker, there's no way for anyone to download it. Because the tracker keeps all the meta information. And that's how it knows where, where to connect to get the data that you're trying to download. So you have to have a tracker. Now, again, there's lists of public trackers. I'll probably post a link or two in the show notes to uh, publicly available trackers. Um, you can, of course, use OpenTracker to make your own if you want. Um, or you can use one of the publicly available ones. And... If uh, you don't want to look for my list, you can just go onto Google and search for you know public torrent trackers and you'll find more than you ever need. And what's what's important is the announcement URL. It'll be usually it'll be something like UDP colon stroke stroke, you know, my tracker dot something, colon sixty nine sixty nine slash announce. And the important part is the the announce bit because that's where your your client is going to connect to the tracker at that URL, and announce to it the state of the torrents on your client. So that, that's the really important thing. So if you have the transmission package installed on your Linux box, if you've apt get install transmission, then you will have a utility called transmission-create. And so all you have to do is go to your ISO file. I would probably put it in a place where you can keep it and not lose it because you do have to have the original data. And then, let me, uh, let me get the syntax here exactly so I don't mess this up. It's cre- okay, so you've got your ISO file in a directory somewhere where you can keep it, and then you type transmission-create-o, space the name of your torrent file, like myiso.torrent, and then dash c, and a comment, and you can make the comment anything you want, like, I made this, or... Something more informative. (laughs) And then you can do dash T and in dash T, you put the URL of the announce, i.e. UDP dot, you know, UDP colon stroke stroke by tracker dot org, you know, colon 6969 slash announce. And you can have multiple dash Ts. You can announce to as many public trackers or private trackers. If you're a member of them as you like, and that just allows more people to have access to that data so you can have one or two or 50 doesn't matter and then you just put what you are putting into the torrent i.e the iso file so you just type the name of the iso file you can also do multiple files you can do directories multiple directories you can have torrents that are many 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 gigabytes in size if you want doesn't matter the metadata file that's created by this command transmission dash create will be relatively small a few kilobytes maybe Maybe a megabyte or two, depending on how much metadata there is. But, um, yeah, there, there won't be a whole lot. So then what you do is you take that torrent file and you put it somewhere where people can get it or you send it to people or whatever. Just just the torrent file, not the rest of it. And then when they put that torrent file, load it into their client, their transmission or our torrent or LimeWire or whatever it is they're using, it will contact the tracker, find out where the data is, immediately start downloading. And when 100% of the data has been downloaded from wherever it can be downloaded from, you'll have a copy of it. And if you leave that copy in your transmission or LimeWire or whatever client, then it will start seeding back to the network. It will announce back to the tracker that you have 100% of the data. And then other people who start to download the file can get it from the original source and now from you. And then as the next copy is created, there are three sources. As the next one's created, then there are four. And as long as those continue to seed, everybody who gets the file later on will be able to get it more distributed and quicker. So that's how it works, and that's why it works. Cool. All right.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Well,
3: hopefully that was at least interesting (laughs) because it wasn't really entertaining. I know that. (laughs) Because I was listening to myself talk, like, wow, this is dry as hell. (laughs) I mean, it's interesting to me because I like the way torrenting works, but, uh, yeah,
1: do do you torrent the episodes at all or no? Do
3: I, what the episodes
1: torrent, the episodes
3: I do, what, oh, okay. I, what I do is I archive, I archive them by year. Um, so there's a torrent for 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011 that has all of the episodes that were recorded during that calendar year. Awesome. Uh, and you can download them, you know, each by torrent and the, the link to the torrent files is on the website. Th- those are actually on the website, right? Now. Sweet. The only problem is I'm having a problem with my tracker right now. So um, that's why I'm going to have to redo all the torrents. So, uh, but I will redo all the torrents. They'll be published. Uh, they'll they'll be uh, mentioned somewhere, i.e. show notes on the website, et cetera, et cetera, You know, so if you have some bandwidth and some cycles to kill, you know, feel free to download those torrents and keep a copy of those files handy uh, so other people can download them as well. And there is also a complete archive. At the end of every year, I do an archive of every episode that's recorded up to that point. So you can get every episode in one torrent, and pretty soon you'll be able to get the ISO. Nice. All right. Well, I think I've uh, spoken w- way, way <laughs> much too much about torrenting. Um, um, but hopefully that was uh, interesting to somebody. And now, since Cheryl's not paying attention, <laughs> we can her to her sleep in. over there. She's in a yeah. coma. <laughs> well, well, now we have feedback. Awesome. We have, like, actual feedback, so Cheryl can read feedback. uh, There's only two of them, so you can do them both. We do have a question real quick. Uh, Oh, there's a question. Excellent. I love questions.
1: Yeah, can torrents be updated, or do you have to make a new one?
3: My understanding, I have not found a way to update a torrent. What you do is you recreate the torrent and republish it. So if, uh, if someone knows of a way to actually change an extant torrent, I would love to know how to do it, but as far as I know, you can't. Because the metadata file contains the hash of the data that's in the torrent. And if you uh, if you change what's in the torrent, then the hash changes and the the torrent itself is just a flat file. So if you change the torrent file, you've changed everything. So basically, updating it would create a new thing.
1: <coughs> so yeah, it'd probably retire one if we do it yes, like an update. That's exactly
3: yeah. what you would do. You're, you would retire it and have to redown it. Now, the nice thing about it is the cryptographs stay the same so let's say i updated the torrent file the torrent file would be brand new but the only thing that changed was one episode okay as long as you kept the original data it would recognize that you already had most of the torrent already downloaded and just download the new bit ah well that's cool yeah but you would you would have to get the new torrent file but like i said as long as you as long as the original data didn't change it would only download what was different. It would be like a delta.
1: Yeah. So that reminds me, like when you get out of a uh, transmission, when you exit or stop a torrent or delete the torrent file, <laughs> make sure you don't delete the data. <laughs> yeah. Don't delete the data. As it long as ask you... you do, you want to delete the data too? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <You hit> no.
3: <laughs> so yeah, you can't you can't upload the you can't update the metadata file, but you can save yourself some time as long as you keep the data around. Yeah.
1: Cool. Now I think we're ready for announcements and feedback.
3: All right. So Cheryl announcements and feedback
0: Ooh, all right. so the first one is a comment on episode two forty four excuse me two forty one from dave k f seven j a f and he says social media roundup is in the show notes. you need't bore with reading it out loud every single podcast. sheesh <laughs> it's different Yay. every time though <laughs> it, yeah it's different so. so
3: well, like with the torrents, some of it is the same and some of it is different. so well, but
0: it's in the show notes.
3: Uh, it it is in the show notes, but I would say to this there are I would say to this two things. These are the two things that I thought when I read this originally. One is we save this to the very end of the show. So if you stop listening right before the social media roundup, you won't miss anything else. <laughs> so you don't have to listen to us read it. And number two is the reason we read it is because I like giving everybody the recognition. So that, that's kind of the whole point.
0: And it puts me out of a job. Yeah.
1: i
3: going to have something for Cheryl to read. Come on.
0: Jeez.
3: You're reading feedback. So, you, you, you
0: know. Well, yeah. This is like the first is time I've read feedback in forever.
1: Is this like a hidden agenda from Dave? He just wants to get rid of Cheryl. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that's
3: okay. That may be. We don't know. <laughs> I can't see into David's mind. So. No. Dave, no, don't do it. <laughs> Well, I would just say that we, we will continue to read the social media roundup just because every week it is different. I mean, the Patreons and the subscribers don't change a whole lot, but everything else does
0: well, occasionally they change occasionally, them. right?
3: Um, and it's, it's our way of recognizing those people on air who support the show. And I think that's important. So yes, so point taken, but we're still going to do it. So, <laughs> uh, it j- j- yeah. just just
0: skip the end yeah you know? but you don't want to hear it just skip exactly. it exactly
3: so. but yeah. thanks for writing in Dave um we hope you continue to listen despite the social media roundup so yeah. all right what's the next <laughs> one? All
0: right the next one is a comment on episode 239 from K5 PDC because I also caught Poland and Bulgaria Ohio, oh hide excuse me Idaho and Maryland and two Brits. It's fun when it works on 20 meters. I did it, fellas. I finally made not one, but three SO50 contacts and my POTA activation at K0334 in Maryland. I worked my 90-degree wrist twist KK4YEL. was helpful and patient. The other HF and VHF contacts were fun, but to finally make 5 watts VHF on an FT2DR into space was exhilarating. Cheers, fellas. K5PDC, Pete.
3: All right, very good. I don't know if that was... In response to a weekender challenge about getting people to work satellites or Probably, not, but I would yeah. like to think it was, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, whether it is or not. So I'm going to take credit for that. Uh, but fantastic using a handheld, uh, presumably circularly polarized antenna to make contacts on SO50. That's very cool. That's that's way more into it than I got. I, I didn't take my own advice or my own challenge yet. You um, never
0: do. You never have time.
3: <laughs> I, I would like to. I really would can step outside his uber and work a pass real quick yeah yeah a, i yeah. could i mean neil did that when he was up in springfield he he kept running out to the car from his hotel room make that like contacts <laughs> yeah. so yeah it can be done sure can that being said we we do need to recognize those folks who uh popped into the chat room tonight and listened to us live and those are that we know of at least jim ve5 ev ted w a zero eir and pete new pete as far as i know i don't recall seeing this call sign before kilo seven papa tango romeo thanks for stopping in tonight and pete thanks for for coming by and and actually asking a question that was cool (laughs) yeah other people ask questions No, that's true sometimes they do but when when people are in the chat room like for a long time they seem to get complacent and they just listen
0: (laughs) sometimes they just shoot the breeze so well
3: and there is that too yeah that's always fun but with that, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Thanks to everybody who listened to us live, who uh, participated in the chat room, and for everybody who listens to this afterwards. We, we really appreciate you guys. That's it. It's been episode number 244 of Linux in the Hamshack. I'm Russ, K5TUX.
0: I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And
3: I'm Bill, NE4RD73. 73
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreoncom Podcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord, and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or hamfest. Email ambassadors at LHSpodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008 stroke LHS live. Until next time, over and out.